Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And as always, I'm grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. Today is Thursday, May 11th, 2023. And we're here for not just one hour, but two hours to uh, teach and support people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. And these tools remain available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. And if you go there and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because 
it's been our experience that the more people actively apply these tools in their lives, the better their life quality is, the better their relationships are, for the most part. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you do that. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone or send us an email. Email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. If we get those questions from you through email, comments, etc., we will address them on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you a message about what day and time it was addressed so that you can listen back to the archive for that response. So, here we are. Today's a Thursday, so a support group is going to happen again tonight. The... Um, all the information you would need to join us absolutely free is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. Please remember if you go there or you send somebody else there to mention that there's a separate info page for the Tuesday login and the Thursday login. The groups run from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time Tuesday evenings and Thursday evenings. So, what's on your mind today? How can we support you? How can we assist you in getting maximum benefit from these tools? I I have several reasons to remind us today that this work is about the tools, not about the people teaching the tools, not about belief systems, not about belonging to a group. The benefit from participating in the support groups is not from a sense of identity. It comes from the immediate mental, emotional support of other like-minded beings interested in growing in their own ability to manage their emotions, interested in growing in their own self-awareness, interested in finding a way to see more and more clearly through their own work. What is the value of their ego? What is the role of the ego? And to see more and more clearly how identifying with either a belief or an ego or membership in a group really isolates us, really restricts us, really constricts us to limitation and conflict and all of the other shriveling energies that happen 
with belief or constriction or identity. All these great spiritual teachings point us toward the idea and speak specifically about how you are an infinite being. You are a being of infinite consciousness. Whether you're growing because you've taken an education and you're reading books and studying courses, or you're growing because you've had life experience, there will never be a limit to your growth. You will never be done learning about yourself. Should that be a, an activity that you choose to engage learning about yourself? It's not a journey to a destination. It's a process that's never-ending because the, the consciousness that you are never ends. So... For a variety of reasons, it comes to me to highlight the fact that it doesn't matter how many other people are engaged in the tools or which other people are engaged in using the tools. If you find tools that help you dismantle your negative emotions and therefore uh, free you up to think more clearly, have more direct access conscious awareness of your true nature and direct access to your conscious logical mind as it functions well. It doesn't matter how many other people. It doesn't matter who you've put on a pedestal or who's fallen off the pedestal for you. It's the work that holds the value. So... Let us know how we can support you. 563-999-3581. This is a Thursday. There's been um, the last couple days just monologues from me and reading from the uh, essays from the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And... um, I think we talked a little bit about listening to Dale Allen Hoffman yesterday and his studies and perspective. And there you go, six one zero, Susan. Hi, Doctor Tim. I have a question. Um, about a week ago, Michael gave me a mind shifter, and I've been doing it, and I have a huge question. The mind shifter was. It is safe and healing for me to feel and maybe express anger toward my mother. Well, you know, many of us could relate to that. The fact is I've never felt angry toward my mother. And my husband used to say, even much younger, he used to say, when you start feeling angry at your mother, you'll, you'll be much better. So I thought, okay, here we are again. Michael's given me this mind shifter. <clears throat> And 
I know I have anger in me. It expresses itself in various ways towards things and people and whatever. But I have never felt angry at my mother, and I'm not getting anywhere. Um, It just isn't happening. I've written five single-spaced pages on this mind shifter going back and forth between refutations and, and then reintroducing the mind shifter. My question is, is it really essential that I end up feeling angry at my mother? I feel as if I'm being asked to be attracted to someone I don't feel any attraction for or some other thing that I don't have any control over. I have no control over it, I don't feel. No no control so, over what? Feeling angry or not. Conjure up rage at my mother. Okay. I would um, encourage you to take it out of that mindset that says you're being asked to conjure up rage. I don't think that anybody who's knowledgeable about therapy and how we process things, I don't think anybody who has your best interests at heart would ask you to conjure up rage at your mother. So just begin with that. What does that stir up for you? That it isn't an act of will. It won't be an act of will. I cannot do it by conjuring. It has to, I guess what it means is that I have to allow it to happen. But that's assuming that there's a lot of rage there. And I don't have well, any no, no, feeling not, about not, that. Not necessarily if there's a lot there, right? So, so get if you if you watch the assumptions. And now okay. here's the second one that, that we're uncovering in your language about this. The first one was that you're being asked to conjure up rage at your mother. That's an assumption on your part that isn't. Okay isn't contained in the assignment of doing a mind shifter. Okay. Right? Michael Rice doesn't say, sit down and write about how angry you are at your mother. Michael Rice says things like, it's safe and healing for me to become aware of blank. And so... The first point is that there's an assumption on your part that you're being asked to conjure this stuff up. The second assumption that we just ran into is that there's going to be, you know, huge volumes of this rage. And okay. that's just an assumption on that's an assumption on your part that I would encourage you to question or release because um you may not have that much. You may have one or two little pieces. You may have a, a, a critical little event uh, having to do with being seven years old and an ice cream cone that got taken away from you or promised to you that you didn't get or some silly thing like that, which is like the the 
the key in a puzzle or that, you know, that proverbial thread on the sweater that when you pull it, the whole sweater unravels. And so <laughs> right. you, may not, you, you may not have boatloads of anger and rage, and yet that's what your assumption is. So the next thing I would say is to try and conceptualize it as a a blockage or a dam or um, a concealing wall. So your mental emotional awareness, conscious awareness that says, I don't have any experience of anger towards my mother and never have. Or maybe I had some in the past, but I don't have any now. That you, you, in these exercises, the truly helpful exercises that people would encourage you to do, the EFC tapping, the worksheets, the breath session, the um, targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter, all you're doing is exploring what might be in the way or what might be behind what's in the way. And if you're doing it in the spirit in which any of those exercises are intended, you're doing, with, you're doing it with openness and childlike curiosity. I wonder what I'll discover if I do a breath session. <clears throat> you know, Jeannie Rice um, was in that interview that was in the second hour yesterday. And, um, I didn't listen. And, and at one point she said um, that she doesn't believe in past lives. And then she went into yeah. a breath session where she had an experience of a past life, you know, Native oh, wow. American mm-hmm. or whatever it was. So here's somebody who at the conscious logical level says, I don't believe in that stuff. And then she has right. an experience of the contrary. How could that happen? The only way that could happen is if she left herself open to see what, what would flow. And, and she got mm-hmm. into the spirit of a breath session, which is just to, to be with whatever happens, to not try and make it be this, that, or the other thing. Mm. But the spirit of these exercises is not, and the real value of them is not, what somebody outside of you has a hunch that you're going to uncover. Oh, I have a hunch that you're going to uncover sexual abuse, or I have a hunch that you're going to uncover uh, murderous rage, or I have a hunch that you're going to uncover a past life where dot, dot, dot. The purpose of these exercises is not about those hunches. Even your hunches, but certainly not the hunch of anybody outside of you. The purpose of these exercises is to get yourself into as open and allowing state as you can, like that forgiveness patter talks about. Mm-hmm. The same kind of thing we, we try to do in every reality management worksheet, to put myself in as much of an open, allowing space as I can and just let things flow. And then I deal with it later. Maybe something gets revealed that I deal with at a conscious logical level. Maybe it just shifts at an energetic level. Maybe both. Maybe neither. And then, if I'm doing this work and committed to it, I just keep doing the work. 
I'm not, it's like when I do a meditation. I'm not meditating to try and reach a certain brainwave state. I'm not meditating to try to levitate my body. I'm not meditating to try to find inner peace. I'm just doing an exercise of exploring what's in here. What happens if I quit doing what I do many of the other waking hours of my life, chasing around in thoughts, evaluating this and that, judging this and that? What happens if I put that aside for a bit and explore another level of experience of being in the body with the mind? So it's putting yourself in the questioning space and I don't doubt at all, based on what you just said, that you've got four or five or six or, or 60 different pages where there's no anger coming yeah. out. Because based on the two assumptions that you just revealed, you don't want to go there. If there is any anger, if there's a little grain of salt anger, if there's murderous rage, you're feeling like, and you have, I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you have an a considerably intelligent intellect, strong will and strong intellect. Did you know that about yourself? <laughs> Have you learned <laughs> you that in it. these few years you've been on the planet? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. if, if, if you've got these two assumptions and you're thinking, I don't want to go there, I don't want to do this, you could write for 600 pages yeah. and never have anything seep out. And yet, if you put yourself in that open allowing space with that childlike curiosity and say, I wonder, I wonder what might be in here, and Mm. then engage the tool, you'll get an entirely different response. That's really good, Dr. Tim. You're right. I have thought somebody is telling me that without a doubt, behind that serene exterior about my mother is a murderous rage and I better uncover it and bring it out because I'll be in deep trouble if I don't. Yep. So that's a good idea. Let that go. Be curious. That's good. Yeah, and remember the um, the, the person who is saying it to you who wants to know and be the expert isn't the point of any of this mm-hmm. just your own self-exploration is the point of it boy that covers just about everything in life I won't go into why I said that but anyway it's a good thing to apply that allowing and curiosity to everything <clears throat> Yeah, and, I have, and it's also a really good thing to turn the focus more back into yourself instead of searching out, you know, what what does the great and powerful Dr. Tim have to say about this or what does Michael have to say about this and and spending less of your mind energy focused on what the other person outside of you is going to say regardless of his or her personal genius or professional status or spiritual awakening. I, uh, I, I, I I chuckled and smiled the other day when I was talking about um, 
interviewing Pierre Pradervan, and you got on the phone and you said, with all of this kind of bubbly energy, that I, I would read it as bubbly energy, you said, oh, what was it like talking to him? <laughs> <laughs> as though well, he was going to be... As though he was going to be exuding this energy that I need to have, right, to to mm-hmm. to be blessed or to be enlightened or to move to the next level or to gain strength or whatever. And um, I, I, we all at various times, various levels in our lives, either do that, seeking and craving this thing from the outside, or we refuse to acknowledge the loving energy and the benefit that it might be for us to engage like in the support group right you run a support group you know how this goes there's stuff that happens Mm -hmm. in that support group that isn't going to happen no matter how many times you do a worksheet on your own and it's not something you can predict or force to happen but it's because there's this synergistic energy Mm -hmm. and you you can't really talk about it and make sense of it. You can't plan it out and make sense of it. So at the one level, it's just as, as silly for me to say, I'm not going to participate in the group. I'm not a group person. They don't have anything to offer me. That's just as silly as saying, oh, I need to be in Pierre's uh, aura and presence because he's got the energy I need. Mm-hmm. God, every time I think I'm overdoing that, it's caught in the act. Hmm. There has been improvement, but we haven't arrived, that's for sure. The thing I found in the mind shifter was how angry I am at my little sister, who happened to born after I was born and took whatever sunshine from my mom was available, which wasn't that much at that point. My mom was exhausted. Now, now, now let's, yeah. let's have you talk about that a little bit more accurately. Right. Okay, so she was born when she was born, and my mind still tells me that she took what little loving energy there was from my mother. That's true. Poor kid. Right. But you just stated it as a fact. She was born and she took all this energy from my mother. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's even softening like that that can help you get more out of a mind shifter or a worksheet or an EFT tapping session. Just changing the language like that softens the hold your mind is trying to put on the conclusions that you're operating from. And remember, the conclusions that I'm operating from or you're operating from or any of us are operating from, they literally create the the filters that determine what our perception is going to be. Mm-hmm. If you keep saying it that way, my sister was born, and she took all what little energy there was from my mother to be loving. Then your mind can only show you how that's the truth. It can't yeah. show you any other possibility. And no matter how much work you do, ostensibly trying to uncover, you know, hidden dynamics, etc., it's not going to get past that because you're already operating 
from your, quote, truth, close quotes. Right. Well, I said that partly tongue-in-cheek, but that doesn't change anything. I said it. And there's truth in the how I said it. So you're right. Yeah, and I'm just talking about changing how you say it to see how it might shift the energy. You know, another part of Michael's Mm -hmm. interview yesterday was he brought up the issue of how um, Yeshua has said, the power of life and death is in our words. And, you know, your words Mm -hmm. carry a vibrational frequency and everything is energy and their power in that to shape what you allow yourself to see, shape the filters that create your perception, shape your openness. And so I'm not saying, oh, this is the wrong way to say it. Say it this way is the right way. I'm just saying experiment with saying it differently and see if it make, makes a difference and <clears throat> helps you have an energetic shift. Because what we know from the research about our lives and about our minds and about perception is we're all creating our own perceptions. Mm-hmm. And there might be That's some true. truth to that statement that, you know, the birth of your sister put such a burden on your mother that she just couldn't be loving the way she, whatever little loving energy she had for you before your sister was born was dramatically reduced. It might be. There could be some truth mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel as if I've walked right up against a wall. And the wall is partly the way I've been saying things. So this is good. I'm going to visualize the wall being permeable. Air coming through. And there is so much resistance. Yeah, the other thing to do is to, if you're going to visualize something, visualize the pearl of great price, the the, the most wonderful gift in the world, being on the other side of the wall. Yeah. Rather than... Well, that was part of my question, is can I get there without doing the work? (laughs) Well, but, you know, the, the, the only reason that wall, which is constructed from your own psyche and your own traumas and beliefs, et cetera, the only reason it would be there and not just dissolve is if some part of you thinks it needs to be there to protect you from what's on the other side of it. So instead of trying to tear it down, what would happen if you started to envision and visualize that this was, you know, uh, uh, another thing that comes from so many of these different teachings, life is happening for us, not to us. And when something happens that we don't like, we can't comprehend that, just like the three-year-old can't comprehend that it's it's a good thing for him to have his parents restrict him to, you know, one small ice cream cone instead of letting him eat the entire bucket of ice cream. Mm. So we are like that three-year-old. We can't understand how this life event that just happened gives us an opportunity to grow and stretch and teach only love or be more resilient or you know strengthen our our ability to be patient or whatever 
So in this visualization, what if you just imagine, if you're going to visualize something, that what's on the other side of the wall is the thing that's going to make your life more loving and expansive and tolerable and spiritual and it's going to be what you it's going to help you achieve what you want to achieve rather than what's probably going on now is some kind of a preconscious or subconscious fear that what's on the other side of the wall is going to destroy you <coughs> yeah Or destroy my mother or my sister. Anyway. Yep. Yep. You don't know what it might be, but if that came to your mind, that's a good thing to investigate as Mm -hmm. openly, as willingly as you can. Gee, how is it? that I might have a thought that says what's on the other side of that wall is either going to destroy me or destroy my mother or destroy my sister. That's a fascinating set of assumptions. Mm. I wonder how that even came tumbling out of my mouth on the radio show. All of this. And again, go ahead. It's a long thing, so go ahead what you were going to say. No, no, go ahead. All of this what? Huh. Has followed on the tail of Tim Bingham and I are, I've told Michael Rice about this, Tim and I are, <clears throat> have put in an application to an, uh, an independent living facility that has continuing care. We're in good health, knock on wood. And we have animals that are in and out cats, and we don't want to disturb their lives. But they're 12 years old now, and we're thinking ahead. So we've put in an application, and we're on a wait list, which is actually not very long at the moment. But if we come up, we can just go to the bottom of that very short list and keep coming up until we're ready, until and if we're ready to move. So this has made it necessary for us to go through and get rid of a lot of stuff. And for me, it's mainly looking through all of my old musical works and deciding which ones are worth keeping and which ones not. And I came across an opera that is a play within an opera. And the play is practically extracted from verbatim journal notes that I took during a period of time when I was in my early 40s working with a 60-ish year old mother slash monster therapist. That's what I projected on her. And what I learned in there was simply that I, the thing I wanted most in life superficially was for this woman to love me and I was sure she wouldn't and 
I was very open with her, embarrassingly so. The issues that came up, bathroom issues and, you know, early childhood associations and things I wanted from her. At one point, I walked on the street where she lived, wanting to see where she lived because I needed, I thought I needed to know more about her. I couldn't find out much about my mother, and so this was a perfect parallel. And I remember telling her that I had gotten onto her street and was so panicked that I didn't dare look left or right. I walked right down and past her street and out the other end, never looking to see which house was hers. But I had to tell her I did that. And she reacted very strongly. She felt I was stalking her and that maybe I was a nutcase. And I remember saying to her, I am not crazy. I am a very, very vigorously healthy okay, neurotic person who is telling you that I did something, but I would never hurt you, and I wouldn't stalk you like looking in your windows, much as I want to. Anyway, she had a hard time with me. I could see her reactions. She would sometimes uh, physically react to things that I told her I thought about her and what I wanted from her. And here I wrote notes because I treasured our session so much. I'd go home and write everything down. And I, I, I condensed this and made it into a screenplay, a stage play. And then came across a Brazilian fairy tale about a young man who was betrothed to a woman he loved very much. But every night he would go and swim in these dark pools near the forest in Brazil because it was so hot at night and in those pools was a witch they called her the Yara and she was extremely beautiful and had a beautiful voice and she would sing to him and he could not control how he felt about her he was he was bewitched by her and his fiance found out about this and begged him not to go because this witch kills young husbands the night before their weddings and this young man and young woman were betrothed to be married and the wedding was approaching and she said promise me you won't go there and he said I promise but then at night one time he went and luckily he took with him something she had given him which was a conch into which she had sung her song and she said, if you go there, and you might not be able to resist, if you go there, remember to take the conch and put it up on your ear with all the effort you have and listen to my song, and maybe my song will be stronger. Sure enough, one night he heads for the river, takes a gun with him, and the Yara shows up, and he shoots the Yara, but the Yara's an apparition. didn't affect him, and then... The sort of the report of the gun brought him around enough to think, oh, the conch, the conch. He pulls it up to his ear and listens to his fiancée's song, and suddenly everything goes back to normal. The crickets are singing, the birds are settling down for the night, the moon is out, and he comes back to reality, actuality, whatever it is, and all is well. And I said to the psychiatrist, you're my Yara. You are my Yara, and I'm going to quit therapy because I'm never going to not go through this unless I just leave. 
And she said, that happens. Go ahead. If you need to go, I'll give you my blessing. And that was the end of our sessions. But I found this opera, and the energy I have for it is enormous. And it needs the music. Is, there's too much of the opera, far too much. But the stage play is good and solid. And I've been going through it and rewriting it, thinking this might be, if it's any good, I'll, I'll never know. But it's my life work put into this piece of whatever it is, music. This has inspired my getting that mind shifter from Michael Rice about rage, which is probably, you know, rage covers fear. What's the fear about? Not not having her, finding out she doesn't love me, she doesn't care about me. So basic. It's embarrassing. But there, that's the story. See what I mean? It was long. I do see what you mean. And it's a lovely story and well told. And it's a story that you know uh, you can you can use to extrapolate out to every person every right. person has temptations right every person has blind spots and that's that's one of the reasons I'm so grateful to have tools is I can't think my way out of that, just like the young man in your story. He wanted to resist. He wanted to just go and, you know, get a little cooling dip in the pool. And yet the internal dynamics in him were such that his logic couldn't hold sway. Mm-hmm. And there are many, many stories like that from a variety of different cultures um, Joseph Campbell collected lots of those stories and tells them beautifully in his books and his his works, and um, and many of them have exactly the same theme that you just discussed. Mm. <clears throat> it's funny to me that that kind of addiction slash attraction fixation is so vital. It is, it's not boring. It brings up all kinds of energy, which means there's something essential about it that we need to live. But how do we integrate it and be healthy in our life and bring it into our life and have a rich life and not just a ho-hum life because we've kind of pushed it aside and denied it. You Because you pushed gone, what aside? The whole richness of that kind of fantasy or attraction or whatever it is. <clears throat> well, the idea, you know, the deeper spiritual truth in these things is that it's only by seeing through the fantasy and the illusion that we get to tap into something that is more solid in different ways, more energizing, more vitalizing of life than any fantasy could ever be. That's you know the deeper truth behind the those stories. 
Yeah, the deeper truth behind those stories is I had somebody in my office last night for the first time. I was telling him this thing that I've worked with a lot of people about. I had a lot of people who have rage, and and rage is one of their favorite miserable feelings, etc. And so, um, not surprisingly, he was talking about his five-year-old who's been thrown out of a couple preschools or daycares already for violence and and then he made a statement like, and so, you know, uh, some uh, angry outbursts this past couple of weeks. And I said, excuse me, wait a minute, let's clarify. Are you talking about your five-year-olds had angry outbursts in the past two weeks? And he kind of smirked and realized he was trying to cover it up. And then he said, no, I've had angry outbursts in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I said, all right, so... Let me tell you something to begin this. Just, just Here's a reason to, to motivate you to explore letting go of the rage. Why would I let go of my rage? It feels so much better than the pain, fear, and sadness that's underneath it. It feels empowering. I get stuff done, etc. So here's the intellectual reason, the little carrot that I hang out there for people. I tell them, listen, my experience has been personally and for lots and lots of people I've worked with in the past 49 years that when you finally learn to refuse to go to rage when your mind would tell you to go to rage, when the life circumstances are the same kind that you've usually gone to rage with, when you finally learn to refuse to go to rage, you will tap into a strength that is deeper and more profound than you've ever experienced. Now, that doesn't not a magic wand that says, okay, your rage is gone, but that's enough of a carrot for some people to explore, okay, what would it take for me to gain that kind of self-control, to see enough of the early warning signs, to sidestep them as I see them when I still have my logic online, and to begin to work toward the day when they will be in a situation where they have habitually responded with rage and they respond with calm and they are just amazed mm. at the strength they feel. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird is it is possible to have that experience and still not be over the rage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because there's a very strong habit pattern, a very powerful momentum, as uh, Abraham Hicks would talk about. It's not that it's so deeply seated or that it's your true nature. It's just that it's really well rehearsed. It's got a lot of momentum behind it. Um, It's what Guy Finley calls the mechanical level of mind. It just does what it does. And the good news is that that's not all we are. We have other resources, other levels of awareness or consciousness that can be brought to bear to modify that pattern. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there are things we can do from the other side to practice doing differently than just letting ourselves be triggered into rage. 
that's what where, do you mean me, the other the, side what what is the other side you're referring to I forget how I said it but the two sides you said there are, are things we lot. can do from the other side other oh, side of what from what side the loving side the healthy side the enlightened side, although that's a pretty powerful word, but Pierre Pradervan's book helped me so much in that way because it starts out rather mechanically practicing the gentle art of blessing, but it becomes more and more habitual. But it's a shift in awareness when you use it. I shouldn't say you. When I use it, I find as if my mind is released from the trigger into a much more loving and interactive way of dealing with the whole, the whole world, people mainly, but things too, <clears throat> even though that other thing is still sitting there. Okay, well, I just... Um... Sorry, I guess I derailed the whole thing. No, no, I just I just wanted to take a breath and come back to the idea that's striking me for you again is how you want to keep looking outside of yourself for the answers and the only the only true the lasting the, the really beneficial answers you're going to find are the ones that come from inside you. They don't come from any outside expert. And they don't come from any belief pattern. So, so are you so saying that's that doing the threat of stuff isn't, it's good enough in itself, but it's not where it's at? Well, yeah, the, the Pierre Pratervan stuff is really, really good because it's got you to tap into your core and your your ability to generate loving thoughts and energies and focus on that rather than, seeking that loving energy or that core wisdom from anyone or anything outside of you. Totally, totally, totally on. That's the ticket, is remembering that. I have it already. I've felt that already. Just cultivating that would be a nice practice. Yeah, and the comments I was just making were related to you know, asking Michael or asking me or um, kind of that that energy you had around asking me so excitedly, oh, what did it feel like to be with, you know, <laughs> X, Y, or Z person or Pierre Bradervan? Uh, so that was a, that yeah. comment I'm bringing you back to is that, you know, mm. the, the the best guesses and hunches from Michael Rice or any other experts you know, psychologists with 45, 49 years of experience doing therapy, those are just little breadcrumbs. And mm. and what's inside you is the whole meal. It, it's the what entire nice nourishing thought. meal. That's a good thought. 
Well, and the more you you stay with this work and you let yourself understand the the genius that was flowing through you to write that play and those operas and the more you correct the impulse within you to get that gratification or validation from outside of yourself, the stronger you'll feel in your core and the less you'll feel the urge to seek outside of yourself for that validation. It's a process. That is true. And I do see that. I see all of the use of the tools and stuff. I see how much stronger I am in my life. But it's just amazing. The stronger you get, then the more junk you look at. <clears throat> well, sorry. <laughs> it, it just when you say that the more the more junk that you look at, um, it reminds me of the line from uh, the Mirror Theory where. Charlie was the teacher and Betsy was the student. And at one point, Betsy says to Charlie, well, Charlie, what am I supposed to do with my garbage history? Uh Charlie says, well, to begin with, let's give it a name with more reverence. Let's call it the love of God in search of self. Oh, my God, that's great. That's really great. You know, I did a a workshop with that piece and invited friends and I explained to them that this was a very personal and sometimes embarrassing work but I really wanted to show it to them and get their feedback. I even wrote out this long questionnaire about what's too long, what's too short, how did you feel uncomfortable here, what's this and that. And I invited my best friends in New Haven where we lived. And one of them was an older man, a psychiatrist. And at the end of it all, he came up and he looked at me with such tender eyes and he said, this was an opera about love. He didn't say anything else and he didn't fill out the questionnaire either, but it was like totally forgiving. And you said, you said, how about changing the word garbage? God's, you know, what did you say it was? God's um The love of God in search of self. Oh, boy. Yeah. You made me remember this guy. Long gone now. Oh, my goodness. But if there's any truth to these deep spiritual teachings, if there's any truth to what we can observe about how everything is energy and the energy of creation is in everything and expanding everything, then you are the energy of creation manifesting in form. And it's just a slight shift of words to say you are the love of the creator expressing in form. And everything you've done is part of your growth and learning process. It's like from the the Mary Magdalene uh, Gospels, the, the, the little bits of the scroll they have that they've labeled as the Mary Magdalene Gospels, where it says, you know, there's three things in that Gospel that are crystal clear. One of them is there is no such thing as sin the way you're taught. You're not offending mm-hmm. your Creator when you do certain mm. behaviors. The second thing is the kingdom of heaven is inside you. 
It's not outside mm. of you some. And the third thing is make no rules aside from what Yeshua had already shared with them. Those were the three teachings in the Mary Magdala Gospels that were whole and intact on the script, on the scroll. Wow. Mm. So everything you've ever done, no matter how you look back on it and judge it as bad or wrong or stupid or shameful or... There is no such thing as that in the eyes of creation. There is no outside source that's going to judge you and punish you and require this or that any more than gravity decides to hurt some person more when they fall because they were a bad person and hurt another person less because they were a good person earlier in their life. It just doesn't work that way. Mm. And so you are the energy of creation expressing in form. And everything you're doing is a choice that has consequences and you can learn from and you can grow and expand. And this is what a number of different teachings talk about. It's certainly what is most clearly being stated in this A Walk in the Physical book with Christian Sundberg, that one way to look at our lives is that we're here to learn through everything we do, learn how to be more patient, learn how to be more loving, learn how to be more able to extend love in more and more challenging and difficult situations and therefore thereby build this capacity, this strength of our ability to remember our true nature in more and more challenging situations and contexts. So the more you can be willing to look with childlike curiosity into some of the questions about you know the, the, that you might stumble across or that Michael might lay out in a mind shifter, the more lovingly and gently and openly with childlike curiosity you can explore those things, the more you'll you'll learn about yourself. And you may that learn so that. Well- that the, the truth of you has got nothing to do with what these outside experts are guessing. Mm. But the bottom line is you don't need to be afraid of it. There's nothing mm-hmm. that you've already lived through that has any capacity to hurt you any more than it already has. You've already lived through it. You've managed it. You've survived it. It's safe for you to see as the way of mastery would say, to go deeper and deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. How do you do that? You do the process of forgiveness. What's the process of forgiveness? Removing and dismantling every false perception. So I thank you, as always, for your call, comment, questions, and I wish you well with pursuing that a set of exercises wherever this takes you you are valued and um, cherished <laughs> thank will, you Dr. Tim thanks for you're the very good welcome and deserving Great. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour I will remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false welcome Jeannie Rice
And I'll invite you to unmute yourself if you're talking. Oh, I was. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. It's easier to hear you when you're unmuted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I was able right, to find that book that Susan. Okay, thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Thursday, May the 11th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1 and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And I'd love to hear your comments and questions. We would love to hear your comments and questions. If it makes this your show. And Susan, I'm going to unmute you for just a second and let you know that I was able to find that book uh, for 49 cents on um, uh, the Google Reads or whatever on the uh, play.google.com, the story of the Yara. And it was only 49 cents. So anybody that's interested in looking for that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, isn't it a lovely story? And it captures something essential about human nature in there that's so it's magical and bewitching it's it's an an amazing story yeah and it shows uh the what jumped out at me is that the true love was more powerful and so when we yeah it is so when we can tap in uh to the love that we are um to the to God to love, then we can overcome all the other obstacles. So I thought that was pretty good. So mm-hmm. I have it's an ebook. It e-book is so. good. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Did you get so, it? It's a uh, whole series, the Green Book of Fairy Tales or something, right? Um, well, this one is actually a book. It's only um, thirty-five pages, and oh, okay. it's, uh, it actually says it's Baba Lodaba. Children's stories. Oh, weird. Um, yeah, the story of the Yara, a Brazilian fairy tale, and the picture on the front of it is a guy sitting on the ground and a girl beside of him with the conch shell in her hand. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. So they yeah, cost. So I look forward. To, yeah, for the cover of it. Yeah, and it was they actually did. published in London in 2018. This one, this version, anyway. Wow, so interesting. Yeah, so I look forward to reading it, although you've told us about it, and it's awesome. And well, thank you very for sharing sure. that. You basically know the story, but it is, it's it's beautiful. It's just, yeah, <clears throat> it is. And Michael's joined us now, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. I'm going to leave you on, but... Um, so much beauty show. in the world, it's amazing. Yeah. If we choose to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I was talking to someone earlier today, and they were talking about, um, let's see, what was the word? Oh, they were talking about the creator, and just after some conversations condemning some people moved into how much they loved adoration of God. And... I pointed out that there might be a little bit of conflict in that to condemn the creation, but you want to do adoration of the of the creator and that perhaps emulation might be a better word than adoration, that we're going to emulate 
the creator space rather than do one thing in our action but then pretend that, you know, adoration is what we're doing with the creator while condemning the creation. That's great. Good word substitution. Certainly appropriate to hold actions in the creation accountable if they're destructive to the creation, but uh, condemnation of, well, that's, I think, a little different game. Accountability, yes, absolutely. And there's right. certainly lots for to, to be held accountable going on in the culture. No kidding. So how are you this morning, young lady, or this afternoon? What's exciting in your world? Well, I'm much, much better that fatigue that you thought was part of a healing crisis, and it may well have been, was also a severe reaction to the statin drug, and I probably told you that too. Um, I went off of it. The cardiologist guy said, go ahead off for two weeks. I don't think that's what's the matter, but go off and see how you do. Two days later, I'm back to full steam, and then I got an appointment with a new doctor, uh, my internist has been just impossible to get his attention and to get an appointment with him. And I was scared. I made this appointment when I was feeling really dizzy, sick to my stomach, not bad, but just off and exhausted. So I made this appointment and they stuck me in with this new young woman doctor who said, yeah, um, some of the statin drugs, they vary widely. And she said, I really, with your history, your family history, I recommend you being on a statin drug, um, but I can have you try a much milder one that has fewer side effects. And I've, been, I've gotten a manuscript on the pros and cons of statin drugs, and I'm going to give her a hard time because... The prescription has been filled, but I haven't taken a pill yet. I haven't even gone to get it because I just don't know. She said, when you're pre-diabetic, you've got a family history of heart disease, cholesterol, clogging of the arteries. Um, uh, what else did she say? Um, blood sugar issue, we have pre-diabetes, and stroke. My mother had many strokes starting at age 80, and I'm coming to her age, and she had had low blood pressure and suddenly be it became very labile. So she said, with all of that, it would be, this is the most amazing drug. It's an anti-inflammatory. It generally just extends people's lives wonderfully. And of course, I'm sitting there believing every word and totally sold. And then I get home and I think, hey, wait a minute. I want to look at everything here before I put a pill in my mouth. And of course, you know, you're going to die of something. I mean, I know you, you don't feel that way, Michael, but I figure, what's the big deal if I took a pill that wasn't quite right for the last 15 years max of my present incarnation? What difference does it make? I know I'm going off on this medical thing. <clears throat> but anyway, I feel great. Thank you for asking. Sweet. Sounds like your guidance is right on track, and if you're feeling great, <clears throat> certainly leaves a big question mark to go from feeling really lousy to feeling great because you took something out of your life and uh, and somebody wants you to put it back in again. <laughs> like, I know. Mm. I'm looking at it. I wish I understood it all, but I've got this manuscript 
that the the new man on our Zoom is a scientist and brilliant. Right. And he sent me. He is the one who said, you know, you're awfully tired. Are you taking a statin drug? He says to me. And I said, oh, you guess. And he said, because I'm 84 and I was put on one and I could hardly get out of bed. And he said, you may have what I did. Check. And he saved me. I would never have made the connection. I just thought I was really getting old fast. So anyway, he sent me this manuscript and said it's long and it's filled with medical terms, but you can sort of glean, you know, what you need to know here. Have a read. I appreciate that. So haven't read it yet, but it's home. Well, I personally think that there are places where some of those pills can be appropriate, but I think in the background, the conversation has to be the recognition that every drug is a disease or actually more appropriately, a series of diseases disguised as a cure. Mm-hmm. If that's in the background and you're aware of that, then yeah. it's a different standard of risk evaluation as to what, what are the pros and cons of taking this disease-causing substance, which might help some of my symptoms. But are my symptoms that important? You know, it's definitely a, a weighing process, and there are certainly places where they're appropriate. But Yeah, it's very hard. I do wish there were a better dialogue and much more reciprocity and kind feelings between allopathic medical people and the alternative medical people. It's just so confusing for the average Joe like me out there who's listening to everybody. I mean, my internist got mad at me because I took ivermectin when I got COVID because my regular doctor was unreachable for a week. And And then he was horrified that I'd done this. But my nutritionist is a brilliant woman who healed herself of crippling Lyme disease using her own methods because modern medicine was no help to her. So, you know, who do you listen to? Well, you know, there's this power within us that Yeshua says, this is the most important connection to maintain. And when you've got that live voice in you, then you've got an edge on everything and everybody. But that's not something that's very respected in the world. In fact, it's poo-pooed as silly and stupid, and you have to look to the authority and the expert. Not necessarily true. Well, people talk about muscle testing as a way of finding out what's best for you by yourself. And I've never been any good at that. But that would be a wonderful tool. Do you use it? Early in my career of study, I started to um, engage in muscle testing. And what I found is that, or what for me it, it was, that it's just telling you what your body already knows. And if you develop the ability to listen to your body, you're going to be a lot better off than if you put it put something in between it even if it is you know the muscles of your own body so my, my take is to become become more go go direct to the source and 
yeah. again, there's a whole other level of responsibility when you do that. You know, a lot of people are whining and complaining about the government taking over here and the government taking their power away. Into, well, when people don't want to be responsible for their lives, somebody's going to step in and take over. <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. just, you know, the, the vacuum is going to be filled. And we're willing to be responsible. And sometimes in our responsibility, we might make mistakes and it might cost us and the cost might be quite high. But at what point do you you know, where do you draw the line? And that's, of course, a totally and completely individual choice. Mm. So holding the space that your guidance is right exactly on track. Can you, so my guidance can, is... can you have a, a back and forth... Um, dialogue with your son who's got awareness of all these things is there an opening for you to take a contrary position with him and be treated lovingly gently and with respect oh sure he'd be good he's on a well, that might drug be. too and, <laughs> and he's not having bad side effects he says he's fine i i don't know why he's on maybe he has cholesterol problems too he's not overweight or anything and i don't think he's diabetic Hmm. Anyway, I don't want to just take up the whole show talking about my medical issues. Well, what would you like to take up some of the show talking about, young lady? What else is on your mind? Well, I already did spend the whole hour with Dr. Tim. He was great. I told him I did the mind shifter you did me. I shouldn't say I did it. I am doing it. Uh, It's safe and healing to express anger toward my mother and I'm getting nowhere and we discussed why I've written five pages single-spaced of all my arguments why it is not safe for healing or even possible it's not there and I'm I'm aware of anger at my sister for instance who was um, the recipient beside me of my mother's rage. I'm aware of my sister doing what she does to get what she wants in life, and I don't approve of a lot of it. There's a lot of garbage in there, Michael, but I'm not anywhere near being able to report on it. Well, how about we adjust it a little bit? All right. Let's go for another one. This one may sound pretty dramatic, but sometimes to get the mind to let go, it takes something dramatic. So how about, it's safe and healing, and I love it. When mom uses the riding crop on me. Um, I'm, and see I'm what not that home, and I'm confronts. on my phone. Uh, okay. Well, I'll send you a text. No, that's okay. I'm typing it in. Oh, okay. For my cool. Phone. Okay. Yeah. So that that's might good. confront your mind in a little different way and, and, and get it to spit up whatever needs to be looked Great. at. Great. I really already feel that there's something to work with there. That's good. I got it. So it's safe and healing for me, and I love it when my mother uses the writing crop on me. That's it, right? Yes. That's it. Okay, thank you. 
All right. And just let that, all the memories related to that, come to the surface and sort through them and see what needs to be forgiven. All right. You know, if you look at those five pages that you've written with the other mind shifter, if you look through it, is there anything there that would would be appropriate that you've written in those five pages to use any of the other tools that you've got on? Like, you know, maybe with the answer on the third line, it's, well, I need to go to the mirror and do a, a love exchange with myself. Or maybe on line five, I need to take the picture of my, a picture of my mother out and do the commitment with her really sincerely, deeply in my heart, do the commitment with her. You know, and just look through and see if there are places where, you know, oftentimes there are dramatic consequences to an unresolved energy, but the unresolved energy itself is not dramatic. It can be, you know, several misplaced misplaced energies that are in different, Mm -hmm. that seem to be different, but come together as, you know, what we would, as what we would call a belief. So Mm -hmm. an individual thought disorder is just a thought. But when you add six of them together and they're all different shades of thought disorders, but they correlate with each other, that then becomes a belief and can have Mm -hmm. a profound impact on the mind. So that might be useful to go through those five pages and just look, are there any subtle, subtle things here that, you know, I've I've got a tool, something I know to do with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Another powerful thing to do can be to invite someone, especially if there's anybody in your environment, that resonates your mom for you and have a dialogue with her. Or I him, already if there's anybody that. that oh, did you? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, 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 it bombed, but. That's because I'm not clear enough. Yeah, go ahead. Keep telling. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, that was my thought. Take every tool you got and get in and clean this one out. Who knows? Um, One of these little pieces of the puzzle might change the way your body processes and deals with cholesterol. It might be. Yeah. And some some blood tests don't distinguish with um, the types of cholesterol that the body's dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, there are large molecule and small molecule cholesterol particles that, well, they, in many blood tests, they come out in the same category. They therefore look like they're the same, really aren't the same at all in terms of their threat level or their destructive level. Yeah. And so that might be worth looking at as well. I don't think the doctors are thinking about that, but I do think the nutritionists probably are. But anyway, whatever. Um, 
Yeah. I know that we need the fats that we're using, that we're eating. And I don't, I eat a very, pretty fat-free diet. So she said, my internist said, it's just your hereditary. You've got it. And you, it's came down into your genetics or whatever it is. Not probably not anything you're doing wrong at all, but you lean toward this. Mm. And hereditary energetic patterns are nothing more than reflections of thought disorders. And when they're resolved. They'll, it will change the way the structure reflects them, mm. would be my offering. Okay, that sounds good and reasonable. So joining you and ho- holding the space for the next level of opening and healing to, to surface and move through. So anything else on your mind for today? Oh, no, I don't think so, Michael. Thank you. All right. We appreciate you, dear heart. Thanks. You too. All righty. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. So, Miss Jeannie, we are about 20 minutes into the show. Today we've got the... Uh, uh, Hear My Voice, I was getting the, the uh, title of it, Hear My Voice Book Club at 3.30 Eastern Time, and uh, that's 8.30 in London, England, where that book club takes place, and we're doing Chapter 3 on the book, uh, Words Could Never Say, and that chapter is about the idea that, uh, and, and if anybody would like to join us, then I'm sure Jeannie has already put a link into the uh, website or into the notes for today, for the Hear My Voice Book Club. So you're welcome to click that link and join us. And chapter three in the book, Words Could Never Say, really reflects the fact that our words represent constructs of the mind that are in common expression in the culture. And those things that have come into common experience are assigned words. And if you look at the outcome for much of the planet, when you realize that we're designed to be eternal beings and the average person thinks, I've done really well if I live to be 90, then perhaps there are some things that would be fantastical that people are buying into because we've got words for for them and we think they're true. And you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and the situation was no different then. There was a level of language being used, and, and there were people who were clamoring and chattering and give us answers, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Ply was, there are so many things I would say to you, but you can't hear them. The only 
words we recognize are words that we have brain cells for. And there are so many fantasies that are structured by the mind that are in common experience. Everybody thinks they're facts, agrees they're true, and they're just totally, completely false. Now, some of those fantasies are useful, you know, like we have a fantasy in our culture that the sun comes up in the morning and the sun sets at night, and that's just silly when, with the way we understand what we now know about the universe. We know the sun doesn't rise at all. We know that the earth spins on an axis, and when our portion of the earth is in the view of the sun, then we have sunshine. But it didn't rise. The earth turned to expose us to it. But we still say that. I mean, you know, go look on your phone, and virtually everybody's got a phone, and everybody's got a, an app and, uh, on their phone for weather, and just take a look at it, and it says sunrise is at, you know, whatever, 602 or whatever. Now, that's just a silly statement. It's so silly, but notice that every phone in the world has that in it. And virtually every, I mean, have you ever said to somebody, oh, I wonder what time the sun comes into view uh, as the earth spins on its axis? Nobody says that to say, what time is sunrise? No, that's not a harmful fantasy. It's a fantasy. It's not a harmful one. The harmful fantasies that we have language for. And what about the useful truths that we don't have words for yet because our fantastical thinking doesn't allow us to experience the truth? What would happen if we got rid of all of the destructive fantasies in our lives? Like, for instance, the common fantasy of, oh, he really made me mad. He really hurt me. Well, that's just as fantastical as the sun rising. But virtually everybody's doing it. I mean, you know. Go read a thousand books by different therapists, and so many of them will offer this fantasy by asking people the question, how did that make you feel? As though something outside of us could possibly cause something inside of us. It's a fantasy to think that something can make you feel anything. But that's what's common in the culture. So the question of this particular chapter, which is chapter three in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, that we're studying with the Hear My Voice book club, is about the what we buy into with words and can the truth about anything actually be spoken in words? We think it can. But if words are reflective of what's in common experience, what's in common experience is killing the average person on the planet before they're 90 years of age, how much truth is there in it? 
What do we need to let go of? What do we need to forgive? Remembering that forgive means remove. How different would our lives be if every word actually represented an accurate fact about the actual world rather than represented a perceptual construct of the mind reflective of some past experience. So that's kind of the direction we're going to go with the Hear My Voice book club today. And if you want to join us, click the Zoom link that's in the notes for today. Or if you go to our website, whyagain.org, and you look under events, there'll be a link that you can click and join the book club. We'd be delighted to have you be there. Beyond that, Ms. Jeanine, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Or any questions from the app? There, I've not received any uh, emails. Yank is with us in the chat room. And there's hey, young no lady. hands up on switchboard. Yeah. Well, we Yank have and I have been minutes. communicating. Yes. Yank and I have been communicating about, uh, about the questions to ask regarding this chapter as we present it today. So, Yink, if you have any thoughts to put in the chat room, you could let us know what we are, they are and or if just that brief synopsis I've given you of this chapter, words could never say. What does that resonate for you? What moves in you? What, what resolves in you or what confusion shows up in you when you hear those ideas expressed in words? And if you have any thoughts about anything there that I've just said, it would be cool if you'd push one and have a conversation with us. And if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, then if you dial into the show, if you call into the show, the show number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, You'll be listening directly to the show on your phone. And then, if you push one, we will be having a conversation. And I would love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to know what's on your mind. I'd love to know what's happening in your world. I'd love to know how we can support you. Or if you have any questions on, on the refinements of forgiveness in this whole inquiry, this whole process that we're entering into. Thank so push one. in the chat room. She says, uh, looking forward to tonight. This chapter was really challenging for me as perfect example. I had read the first few lines wrong, and it took me a while to realize it. Makes me think of that um, time that you had someone in a workshop, and they read a line like five times before you had to point yeah. out what they were skipping. Exactly. Yeah, well, actually, the the... There have been situations like that, but the one that came to mind when you mentioned that, and this was several years ago, I was up in Toronto, Ontario, and doing a workshop, and the workshop was on uh, on creating consciously, and we were talking about mind shifters, and so I handed out a sheet with some mind shifters on it, and I had people reading the, you know, picking one and reading it, and was going around the circle, 
and a woman read what it said, or at least what showed up in her mind as her perceptual construct. And she had inserted words that were not there. They weren't on the page. And so I asked her to read it again, and she read it again, and she inserted the same words. And, you know, of course, everybody's looking at her because everybody's got the same piece of paper, but those words aren't there that she is reading from the page. And so I asked her to point to the words on the page as she read them, which she did. And she read words that weren't there. So perception can be a tricky thing. And that's why the knowledge of how to collapse perception, especially when there's some form of pain or trauma going on, is such a benefit because it's a way to access the underlying dynamic of pain and challenges in our lives and rectify them. So, Yinka, perhaps you could share a little bit about what was different than what you read, how that changed for you. That might be a good example. And it might spur a little more uh, conversation and clarity on the questions to ask in the PowerPoint that you're developing for today's show. I really appreciate, and for those that don't know it, Yinka runs the Hear My Voice book club out of London, England. And we've been working with Yinka now for probably a year or so. And in doing the book study, she has been coming up with and creating a PowerPoint. Yinka's been becoming more deeply engaged in this work at every session and teaching it, carrying it forward as she's applying it in her life. And so she has been really enhancing her comprehension of the work and her ability to present it as she creates a set of PowerPoint slides with comments, awesome graphics, you know, always a graphic that's just right on track for the the point that we're making with the book. So much appreciation for that, Inca, that skill you have. It's awesome. She just wrote and said because she read the first few lines wrong, it couldn't. She couldn't understand the rest of the chapter, and uh, once she got that correct, then she understood the chapter. She said tonight's session is a great way of understanding perception and the impact it has on their life, which has been a great eye opener for me. Yeah, it's it's so important. I mean, virtually everybody in the world still believes that they look out through their eyes and see something happening in the world, that everything they see happening in the world is is actually happening in the world instead of happening inside of them. When you realize that perception is just a construct and reflection of the mind, we've never seen anything outside of us with our eyes, and we never will because the eyes are not two-way devices. They are a one-way valve. Information comes in, and you can't look out through them. It's just not possible. And what that means is that you've never seen anything with your eyes. Eyes don't see. Eyes bring in light energy. That's all. They're an antenna for light. Information is carried in that light energy, and that information resonates or causes certain brain cells to fire. 
And the brain cells that fire in us are what produce this thing called perception, this construct called perception. And based on that, you know, that's where I come from with the, the fact that we only have words for what's in common experience. It's if, if enough people are experiencing a certain construct, a certain perception, then we make up this series of grunts and groans that we call words, and we say, oh, that's what that means. But in fact, what the word elicits in the mind is simply what's in the mind. And one of the things to really comprehend, one of the things to really get about perception is that it is always a reflection of an internal condition first and foremost. Can perception tell you something about what's happening in the world? Oh, absolutely. Light energy comes in. If accurate brain cells fire, then we can accurately say something about what's happening in the world, as limited as it might be. But the fact that something shows up in our mind as a construct and we think that we're seeing it outside of us is just not true. Can't be done. It's another one of those fantasies. What do we have? Oh, what did you see happen, the judge says to each of the witnesses to the accident. Oh, what did you see? One person watches a television show and says, well, that was so great. And another person watches and says, oh, that was really terrible. What did you see on the screen? You didn't see anything. Light energy bounced off of the screen. It was organized in a form that your mind understood and it elicited responses from the content of your mind. And if you'd like those responses, you probably say, I liked that TV show. And if you didn't, then you probably said, no, it was lousy. Perception is a really interesting study, a really tricky thing. The CIA did some research on perception. Actually, there's a link on the website that Jeannie put out. And you can download the CIA's study from our website. And in that study, and the reason I'm kind of hesitating a little bit is that I'm looking at... I'm looking up that quote as we speak. And here's what they say. Here's what the CIA says about perception. Give me one second for this file to open. So here's their research on human intelligence. And here's their conclusion verbatim. This is what the CIA wrote as part of this book that you can download free from our website. Perception 
is a demonstrab is demonstrably an active rather than passive process. It constructs rather than records reality. Perception is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality on the basis of information provided through the five senses. So there's the CIA's conclusion about perception. Now, their conclusion is not true. It's not act delve into that a little bit because it's an important refinement. They're right. It's active. It constructs rather than record reality. And, but when they go on and say it constructs an individual's version of reality on the basis of information provided through the five senses, that's not true. If all that were given were the information provided by the five senses, then everything that perception brings up would relate to what happened in the world. But what happens is the information that comes in through the five senses resonates content in the mind. If it were the information that comes in through the senses, then everybody would have the same perceptual construct about everything because we all get the same information coming through or unless there's some sort of some sort of deformity in the receptors, you know, the eye or the ear, or what have you. But basically, we all get the same information that comes in. So if that were actually true, you know, following that all the way through, that last detail, then everybody would have the same reality about everything. But we don't. Because it's the information that comes in through the five senses that resonate the content that's there. And the variable is the content. So to be 100% accurate, that CIA quote should be that perception is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality on the basis of information provided through the five senses and what that information resonates that is already stored in the mind and in the genes. Now you'd have a more accurate picture. So everything that we see on the window of perception is an interpretation of our own minds. It's really important to recognize that each interpretation tells us more about the content of our minds than it tells us about the world we believe we're looking at. And if what you're experiencing isn't based in love, it's not coming from out there into you. It's not independent of you. So all things are subject to interpretation, which means that all things are subject to the variability of the content in each person's mind that receives that sensory data. And you'll notice that we live in a culture that whichever interpretation prevails at a given time tends more to be a function of power than of truth. So who's the ruling bully on the block? Then everybody has to agree with the interpretation of the king. May not have any clothes on. The king may be totally naked. <laughs> and our culture teaches us to value 
and conform to that which has the power instead of learning to conform with the truth. William Blake, in his book, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, says, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up, himself up till he sees all things through the narrow chinks of his cavern. In other words, you only get to see what your perceptual mind allows you to see. In the movie, The Notebook, which was powerful, Nicholas Sparks speaks these words. We sit silently and watch the world around us. This has taken a lifetime to learn. It seems only the old are able to sit next to one another and not say anything and still feel content. The young, brash and impatient, must always break the silence. It is a waste, for silence is pure. Silence is holy. It draws people together because only those who are comfortable with each other can sit without speaking. This is the great paradox. Powerful film, The Notebook. I haven't seen that in a long time, and I haven't seen it since it came out. Maybe that's one we should put on our list to watch. See? I think it would be cool. Person named Shannon Elder says, Your perspective on life comes from the cage you were held captive in. So that will be our conversation. We're going to expand out on that and see how it develops, what it turns into. And if that resonates anything for you, then I would love to hear your voice and have a conversation with you. Again, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. Call us. Let's have a conversation. Push one, and we'll be talking. Um, thanks. One is, in, and I did put a link to the psychology of intelligence analysis in the notes cool. for today. Um, but one of the things they go on to say is, and it's still off a little bit, but what people perceive, how readily they perceive it, is how they process the information after receiving it, are all strongly influenced by past experience, education, cultural values, role requirements, and organizational norms, as well as by the specifics of the information received. That kind of fits with that quote actually came from Nietzsche that said, it's a function of power, not of truth, you know, what people hold in common. So right. that is right on track. And Yinka said it was a very subtle um, difference 
that the chapter starts out and says, imagine a two-dimensional creature. But what she read was, imagine two-dimensional creatures. And so when she made the PowerPoint, she was making two-dimensional creatures, two of them. And so oh, she got okay. really confused on it because, yeah, so it was just what? instead of a two-dimensional creature, she read it as two-dimensional creatures. And so it totally changed the rest of the chapter, and it didn't make sense. <laughs> and so when There's she the realized that. There's a whole chapter in a nutshell. Yeah. And so That's as awesome. she was creating the PowerPoint with two separate dimensional creatures, then she had, once she got it, she had to go back and change all the PowerPoints and adjust what she was reading. So, ah. Just a very well, subtle such... difference. <laughs> what a perfect example of the whole idea of the chapter. Yeah. Well, you'll have to share that to begin with in the, in the, uh, the study this afternoon or this evening. That'll be awesome. Again, you know, the Book Study Club and Yinka are in London, England, so it'll be at 8.30 their time, but it's at 3.30 our time. So if you want to join us, jump on the notes, grab the link, and make sure to join us at 3.30, be part of the conversation. That's such a great example. <laughs> Words could never say. That'll be the title of our chapter. Well, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Oh, no, everything else is all quiet. And uh, I'll, well, I have no idea why, why uh, this came to mind to share, but since nobody has a, a hand up, um, one of our neighbors who we know quite well texted me yesterday and said that the neighbor up above him passed away. And I don't know that neighbor, but I just felt inclined. I went to the grocery store this morning and picked up you know, a loaf of bread, some sandwich meats, paper plates, napkins, tea, just different things. And I took it to their house when I got back. And they were like so totally shocked. It was because like, I had to introduce myself first and tell them, you know, I live three doors down. And they were like, why did you even feel like you needed to bring something? And I said, well, just because I don't know you doesn't mean we're not neighbors. And it's the neighborly thing to do. I said, you know, I lost my dad six weeks ago. And I said, you know, the outpouring of people, you know, just being there. And I said, so, you know, now you know who we are. And I said, we're three doors down if you need anything. And the mother was sitting on the porch. It was her husband who passed away. And it was the daughter I was speaking to. And, I mean, they just both broke down and cried. They couldn't believe that somebody that didn't know them would do something for them in this time. And, you know, so reaching out to other people, and it gave me a real blessing just to do it. Mm, that's sweet. Sweet. While holding space for them, extending love in their direction that... Uh, whatever needs to process in that whole family system with the father and the husband passing that uh, turns that experience into a blessing for everybody, including the father as he moves on to the next level of his journey. 
Thanks for sharing that, sweetie. It's touching. It's powerful. Well, if we have no hands up, go ahead. We were talking about perceptions, and, and another cute example, and we've shared this before, is Aria actually totally understands it, four and a half, having different realities. And the game that you all played and made up of turning a piece of paper upside down or backwards or rolling it up in a circle or whatever and looking and seeing something different. And she'd say, well, my brain tells me, da-da-da, and, you know, then you would change it to my reality. And so then she picked up on that and started using reality. But it's, you know, a concept that she's learning at a very early age. I wish that I had known that at that age. Me too. Wish it hadn't taken me decades and decades to learn that one. Life would have been so different, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, we're down to the last few minutes, and if nobody has a question or thought, seeing as how Yink and I need to have a conversation, and we've got some things on our plate, I'm going to just say thank you all for joining us, and we'll close the show out, and we appreciate you. And if I shave the best year yet of your eternal life, blessings. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.